Welcome to Mind Killer, a Dune podcast by LSG Media. And we have returned. I am Dean. Joining me is Matthew. And we're diving directly into the action from whence we left off, which was chapter 36. So today, Matthew, 37, 38, and 39, we're into book three. We're on the precipice of book three with 37. And then we're into book three. And then if we are hitting three chapters per episode for the rest of this way out, we've only got a couple left. And then we are done with the great sci-fi masterpiece. And uh, I know you've been chomping at the bit to discuss these chapters. These are three excellent chapters. We're going to be talking about, of course, the the water, what is it? The water of life. Water of life. The water of oh, life ceremony. Baby. We're going to be getting back to uh, the Baron in Fades little games. And then, of course, we're going to get a check-in on Thufi Hawat. The oh, Mentat assassin so who has been suborned by the great and powerful Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. So, I'm ready, buddy. Yes, sir. Same here. I've been, I like you said, I've been really excited to talk about the first chapter. We're going to talk about chapter 37. Uh, damn, is this some good writing that I yes. can't wait to get into. Yes. Oh, my God. The moats. <clears throat> the moats. The, the word moats keeps uh, coming up. Yes. So, why don't we dive in with reading the beginning? Would you like to do this? Sure. The hands move, the lips move, ideas gush from his words, and I, his eyes devour. He is an island of selfdom. Description from a manual of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Mm. Well, this is a pivotal moment in this book. It's uh, no surprise that this would close out book two in this novel, right? Right. Uh, it makes sense because this is a, a pivotal moment, a, a, a massive turning point in the characters' lives. In, in all of the characters we've come to know at this point, uh, Jessica is going to become a reverend mother. Of course, Cheney is going to become Sayadina, I believe, if, is the term, if memory serves. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, what all this means for Paul going forward and, uh, and his experience when they essentially just kind of get wild with ayahuasca in the jungle <laughs> a little bit <laughs> it's a real trippy uh it's a real trippy moment these are the chapters that make me ponder how well the motion picture will capture such inward introspection that is both very much thinking and very much a psychedelic sort of adventure yes yeah, and very internal and very abstract, even. That's a better um, way even to say though, it, abstract. <clears throat> even though I, I pictured, uh, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but I actually had like a vision in my, my head. You, you gained prescience? About, I gained the prescience, the ability Ooh. to see all paths. Yes. Um, but no, like the, the, the vision of, of when Jessica drinks the water of life, like I have a visual associated with that. I don't know if it would work well in a film, but mm -hmm. the, the writing brought one to me at least. That's great. So we have a bunch of people gathering. Phosphor tubes in the faraway upper reaches of the cavern cast a dim light under the thronged interior, hinting at the great size of this rock enclosed space. So I want to talk about this little setup here without reading that entire paragraph, and that's... 5,000, I think they say, are gathered. 
So we have to stop and think for just a minute, because this is going to really contrast the last chapter on this episode that we cover, which of course is going to be the Baron's inability to wrap his head around the Fremen numbers. Yes. And we really get a deep introspective look into the way these people live. Uh, And we also see quite physically how they live, how many there are, 5,000 people that are unknown to the Harkonnen who are relentlessly searching for them. 5,000 is a lot of people to hide. Well, and also by the end of the chapter, she estimates that the total number, because people are still pouring in at this point, she estimates the total number is something like 20,000. And that's (laughs) just in this CH. uh, That's a great point. I imagine it, Matt, uh, like a concert, right? You've been to a concert where... You just see people filing in, and then you're one of the first people there if you ever got lawn seats. You know, I remember <laughs> going to a Metallica show a long time ago at Great Woods, uh, which I don't remember what they call it anymore. They renamed it, but it's in Mansfield, Massachusetts. And the lawn has this railing, and you get there hours early, especially uh, the people I would. They were crazy about that shit. And your chest is up against this railing, and then there's a drop down into the pavilion where the seats are. And you look back, and you're like, it goes so far back. And then by the time, I believe it was Jerry Cantrell, because at this point, Lane Steely, Lane Stanley, Lane Stanley, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Alice Chains guy. <laughs> the Alice and Chains guy had already died. So Jerry Cantrell was doing all of the Alice Chains music. Anyway, long story short, you turn your head and you must experience what they're experiencing here in this chapter, which is this, these throngs of people just rolling in. And you think, okay, there's only some of us here. Wow. And then you look and it's just packed so many heads all the way up the lawn, all the way to the back fence. And you're like, wow, this is so (laughs) fucking many people. And now imagine you're on the stage and you're about to undergo some religious experience, right? All these people watching and not just watching for their entertainment, man. They're watching because this tells them something about the future of the tribe, the future spiritual leadership, some outsider that's come around. Are they convinced? What do they think at this point? I always wondered that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think what's so interesting too is that it's not this ceremony that we're about to see in the book is not just a, a ceremonial ritual. Like it's also a test. It's, a, it's right. also a test that you can fail. Um, and so I love the I love the stakes that are that are in this. But you, you, yeah, you see how much this matters to the tribe because it looks like the entirety of their CH is gathered for this. They're yes. they're all there. I mean, for one, because Stilgar has important news for all of them, but also for for this ceremony and the test that that is within it. Yeah, and uh, just as a correction for any of the alternative music people of the '90s, it's Lane Staley. I always say it wrong because it's it's a it's a it's a it's it's, it's you want to say Stanley or you want to say, you know, it's, it's one of those weird names. But anyway, yes, it's a test and, uh, and this is important. And, and as you said, she watched the men unroll the carpets covering the ledge, looked out at the crowd. There were at least 10,000 people on the rock floor now and still they came. Yikes. I love the way Paul comes in with his two child bodyguards now. <laughs> his two boy guards. Who his, two have their hands stolen, their knives. his two stolen sons. Yeah, just, all I got to do is stab their dad. That's it. And then you get two free sons. Yikes. I know people who would stab a dad to get rid of their sons. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's gaining kids with each murder. <laughs> I like Stilgar's. You. Oh, go ahead. I like Stilgar's line uh, when he actually, when they first come in and he says, yes, the sons of Jameis, who are now the sons of Usul, they take their escort duties very seriously. 
kind of like elbowing Jessica, like, ah, uh, uh, see, it's all right here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He ventured a smile. Um, but no, I, 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 Jessica is in this weird position, isn't she? She She's has been strange. talking about this the whole time or thinking about it more or less. This idea of what am I going to do to help secure which needs to be secured for Paul? We, we've jokingly talked about Jessica no longer has, quote, the good life in the, in the lovely halls of Caladan and then the very brief stay on Arrakis before being chased into exile and having a son that she knows is the, quote, rightful duke of House Atreides. And, and what are we going to do? Who, who are we going to use as an alliance? Like, she's very, obviously, she's very introspective, but there's, a, there's the mother looking out for the son and the thinking of politics and how can we secure alliances that we could utilize to take back this power. And she's thinking here. Yeah, no, she has a moment where she says to herself, I had no choice but to do this, she thought. Yep. We must move swiftly if we're going to, to secure our place among these Fremen. Because right. they know at this point that their only hope of, of, for one, getting revenge and fighting back against the Harkonnens is with the Fremen. Of but also just their bare survival. They, there's nobody else to turn to. There's no other group. There's no alternative at this point. They're there's in and they got to go in deeper. It's crazy to imagine this, Matt, because there is no safe place. Like, I started to think about this while reading the chapter. And maybe, maybe you, maybe I'll ask you, do you think there is a safe place in the, in the, in all of the Imperium for these people? Is there a backwater world where they could hide, like, like Yoda on Dagobah? Is there a smuggling ring that would take them in? Where, or is this the safest place they can be? (laughs) In a sense, it is. I mean, Especially when it comes to kind of like what I was saying of like having any hope of reclaiming their place, mm. restoring their house. Like this is it. This now in that from that angle, this is I think one thousand percent their only option. Yeah. Um. But for bare survival, they could probably pull a hallock and hook up with some some weirdo smugglers that'll at least take them somewhere. But right. you're gonna live life as as stowaways. <laughs> That's it. With with bounties, if anybody learns of who you are. And then what kind of skills do you bring to bear? I, I guess that's, I guess they, well, they are very skillful. They could, they could protect themselves. But I guess this gets back to something we're fond of talking about. Would you even want to go anywhere else? It, it's almost that Jessica sees this water of life, this test as walking through the proverbial fire because there is no other option. And, and, and the thing we're fond of talking about is the Missionaria Protectiva. Yes. This that that matters here. This is what's assisting her. The fact that she's even being put into a situation where she's going to be tested and thus be bestowed with a powerful spiritual honor of Reverend Mother says, you know, maybe we could hide away and in and in and suborn some poor rich noble of a very, very lesser house nobody's heard of and just mm-hmm. live our lives eating grapes. Maybe, maybe. At best. At best. Yeah, best case, exactly, without in, in, in maintaining a secret. Or we can walk through this fire, we can take this test, and not only will we be protected, we will be revered. And this gets right. back to your first point, which is now we have allies. Yeah, absolutely. Green I love Chani. F- yes, please. Oh, that's exactly, no. yeah, that yep. was the same thing. Chani with her, uh, the green kerchief around her arm for, mm. for mourning, because Kynes is dead. And I love that the, the, the two little boys who are now sons of Usul, they're not wearing green because they have accepted him as their father. That's a, that's a, what's it like to be a Fremen 
boy <laughs> or a Fremen girl. What's it like to be the Fremen son of a slain Jameis? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fascinating that they're so conditioned that they're not weeping for Jameis. They are accepting Paul almost immediately and not just accepting him, but, but stepping to him to protect him. We associate the Western world uh, and the Eastern world, the world over. We always assume we protect the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and these kids have these Chris knives and like, no, we're, we're going to help too. And yes, I know some of that is tossle their hair and kick them in the pants, but they're fierce. They're strong. They are, they're prepared and they seem okay with Paul's presence. I find that super fascinating. And yeah. they ask, are you the Lisan Al-Gaib? <laughs> He's totally kids. Hell yeah, I am. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I could beat up a bear. I could beat up a wolverine. You know, he's doing that dad shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the, um, I, I like that we get to see this other reverend mother. This crone is wheeled in. The current mm. reverend mother, right? There can't be two. And, uh, and they, they wheel in this woman, a crone, a wrinkled and shriveled ancient thing in a black gown. With hood thrown back to reveal the tight knot of gray hair and the stringy neck. What a description. Stringy neck. Yeah. I He's so good at description. To, to make these reverend mothers from Mahayam to, to this one seem just different. They look differently. Yeah. This is the wild reverend mother. Yeah. This is the, the difference between, say, the wilds, wild elves in the woods and then Elrond and his ilk, right? In, in <laughs> exactly. Rivendell. A very, very different group. Makes me wonder how tied in at all this Reverend Mother is to the Bene Gesserit order as a mm. whole. That's a good um, question. Yeah, it makes me wonder. It's, it's like, is she just a woman who's kept all of those same traditions, essentially the Fremen version of the Bene Gesserit? Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting question. But they are definitely, what we come to learn is that she is equally tied into Bene Gesserit motherhood history. That's right. for sure. It's, it's massive. Out. So you're the one. The shout-out Mapes was right to pity you. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrifying. You know who the shout-out Mapes is. You know how she felt about me. Because you came to the you came to our home on Arrakis and were quickly slain. At what point did you give information back to this Reverend Mother and how? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How are you aware of how the shout-out Mapes pitied me? That's, again, this gets back to the awareness stuff. This... This shows you the breadth of their power. Maybe it was messages. It could be. It could have been a little email. Could have signaled <laughs> her. Could have Skyped her. I don't know. But I like, the, I like the boldness in Jessica to where she says, I need no one's pity. <laughs> nah, she's great. Uh, but no, this is right after this, we find out the news, you know, and our characters have already kind of started to understand this, but we get the announcement from Stilgar you know, as he you know, steps up to, to speak to all of the Fremen. Tonight we must leave the Siege that has sheltered us for so long and go south into the desert. Indeed. Because I wish you would have just started stomping the whole crowd. <laughs> just brings in a cave collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, we shouldn't have done this. Uh, too many yeah, of us. this this is an important yes, this is a great distinction you're making here, which is not only are we testing her, not only doing the water of life ceremony, but we're packing up and we're out. And if there's one thing we know the Fremen are good at, it's movement. They're very, they can, they're quite nomadic. It's funny because we've seen these sieches and these living conditions and, and, and all of these things, water reclamation area and, and nope, 
we pick up and we go. I just imagine them. It, I, I imagine on a, on a massive scale, Matt, something like Band of Brothers, where when the men have to move, it's like like the, the machine gun guys. They stand up, boom, boom, break the gun down, start going, like yeah, in, a, in yeah. like light with lightning speed. You see this big whole machine gun they've set up, and they just stand up, boom. One guy grabs a tripod, throw it over his shoulder, grab the thing, grab the ammo box, go. I just imagine the Fremen operate that way in such a large scale, breaking down stuff that they need to take or can't right. take or the, or the essentials that they must take and just making their move. Absolutely. Efficiency. Yeah. Efficiency being key. Efficiency in, in their efficiency in their movement. If, and I don't just mean in their swift, deadly arts. I mean in their strategic and tactical arts, the way they can just up, uproot their supply, their logistics is the best way to say it. Right. It's intense. Right. No, and we find out that, you know, this ceremony needs to happen now because as Stilgar says, the Reverend Mother tells me she cannot survive another Hajra. Mm. I think that's how it is. It is. We've, we've lived before without a Reverend Mother, but it is not good for people to seek a new home in such straits. Yes. So they're not going to seek out a new home without a Reverend Mother. She is that important to the tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, so this has to happen tonight. This is yeah. like an emergency ceremony. By the way, meeting. all 10,000 of you pack your shit. <laughs> Everybody get ready to go after this. I hope your bug out bags are, are packed full of granola ammunition and water because we're going <laughs> out into the, into the wild. But, uh, yes, Jessica of the weirding Jessica thought she saw Paul staring at her, his eyes filled with questions, but his mouth held silent by all the strangeness around them. I like this because. We're coming to see Paul is so aware, so prescient, so in tune with what's happening to the point where he has this instinct for things. But now he's frozen in strangeness. And I like this, that this young man who has learned so much and has such tools at his disposal is arrested in strangeness and just looking around. I mean, it's his mother. What? Put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a minute, man. Your mom is about to do something that's probably going to kill her. She's a, she's a rock for you. Even though you have misgivings about her because of the visions you've seen and what it could lead to, the Atreides banner flapping in the wind and the boots stepping on the enemies and the blood-soaked streets, but, but this is it for you and your family. It's your mom, and that's it. And now she's being faced with this seemingly insurmountable thing. Yeah, Paul barely heard the ceremony, his attention still centered on what had been said of his mother, if she should fail. Mm. That's all he can think about at this point. If she should fail, indeed. But no, it's, uh, it is, it is, we, we push along into this. She carried the same aura of power that he remembered from the Reverend Mother Guy's Helen Mahayim. We're referring to uh, the Reverend Mother here. Uh, dry crone features, fathomless blue eyes, uh, looked though a breeze would blow her away, yet there was a there was a way, of, but there, but yet there was that about her which suggested she might stand untouched in a Coriolis storm, right? I love the duality in this description. She looks like she could be blown away with a simple breeze or withstand hurricane gale forces. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it demonstrates this sort of supernatural uh, power that she may possess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She just commands uh, a presence. And we get her name, Matt. I, the Reverend Mother Ramallo. <laughs> whose voice speaks as a multitude say this to you. It is fitting that Cheney enter the Sayadina. So obviously there's a whole thing that has to happen here. This gets into the ceremony of the seed. This gets into 
what the old woman is offering and what Cheney is going to accept and her new responsibility. Because currently, Jessica's Sayadina. Am I wrong about that? No, yeah, no, she is. She yeah. is the Sayadina. And so Johnny shall be the next. We're seeing, to break it down into the ridiculous, we're seeing essentially a double promotion. <laughs> <laughs> I called you both in the office today because, well, you're promoted into his job and he's promoted into my job and I'm retiring. <laughs> you know, it's like, so <laughs> exactly. have fun. The office is yours, boys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we start to get, we start to get men bringing in uh, the yes. water, bringing in ceremonial water. And as Jessica starts to smell it, she gets the overwhelming, you know, sensation of the spice. Mm. This water, this water is just soaked full of it. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and we start, blessed is the water and its seed. There is a familiarity to the right. And Jessica looked back at the Reverend Mother Romalo. The old woman's eyes were closed and she sat hunched over as though asleep. I mean, we're seeing a woman so ancient. Yeah. That she appears out. I mean, just it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's jumping ahead slightly, but I mean, she's basically, she's basically willing her own death to a degree. Like, right. It's very kind Yoda. Of the final. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Like, this right. is like kind of the final act, the final transference for her as we come to learn. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is not possible that you have tasted the blessed water. You're an outworlder and unprivileged. And uh, this is Cheney talking to uh, Jessica. When, when Cheney asked rhetorically, have you tasted the blessed water? This is part of the ceremony. Before Jessica can answer, Cheney says, no, you can't. You're not world. You're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, we, we get this great moment where, where Chani <laughs> really reveals what could happen with the water, uh, where she tells Jessica, here is the water of life, the water that is greater than water, Khan, the water that frees the soul. If you be a reverend mother, it opens the universe to you. Let Shai Halud judge now. Mm. And Jessica has to worry now again at this point about her unborn child. Mm. She hasn't told any of them about her being pregnant nope. and she keeps wondering, is this okay? Am I about, am mm. I about to drink bleach while pregnant? Like what am I about to do? <laughs> yeah. Is this uh is she taking the 70s approach? Like ah, a cigarette one out again ain't bad. You can drink plenty of wine. Or is she taking the 2021 approach? You know, don't even stand near your television set. <laughs> She's, She's going to find herself somewhere in the middle there where, where she does have a, a very difficult decision to make. Right. Because she feels torn between duty to Paul and duty to the unborn child. Um, and also she can smell what reminds her, at least like uh, it subtly resembles the smell of poisons that she knows. Indeed. And so she's Indeed. already picking up on the fact of its danger. Like it's literally dangerous. Literally dangerous. Yes, it could kill her. And I like that you bring that up because that's really contrarily what we have right after that realization is the Benny Gesserit are skilled in specifically Jessica as a ducal concubine. She's aware of poison. She's aware of what it smells like. She's trained. She's trained as a Benny Gesserit. She's trained as, as a ducal concubine by said Benny Gesserit. And then she gets to this moment where she realizes, Matt, all her Benny Gesserit training is for not right now. And think about that for just a minute. Put yourself in her position. This reminds me of, I'm stripping one of your senses away. I am, you're a telepath. I'm taking away your ability to, to read minds. There's a, there's a next gen episode called The Loss, where Deanna Troy loses her empathic ability and suddenly she has to just read body language. Her most powerful asset, the one she's leaned on for so long, is just ripped away. Superman suddenly has no power. 
She's a Bene Gesserit and none of it matters right now. All she can do is not turn back, go forward and hope that this is going to go favorably. (laughs) I'm jumping way ahead by bringing in this line, but I think it's just so appropriate. There's a moment later in the chapter where Paul says to Chani, you can't back into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I feel like that's so applicable here to Jessica. Like Jessica, she understands that implicitly. And it's like, I have to turn and face this for the sake of my son, for the sake of, for the sake of her unborn daughter, all of it. Um, I got to drink this crazy ayahuasca juice. (laughs) Got to do it. And Chaney just squirts it in there with a lot of force. (laughs) Just and Jessica's swallowing and, you know, like it's a bag of Franzia. Just fucking (laughs) squirting it down her mouth. It's a juice box. (laughs) To accept a little death is worse than death itself, Chaney tells Jessica. And now she just sits and waits and she realizes it is a drug. And the whirling silence settled around Jessica. Every fiber of her body accepted the fact that something profound had happened to it. She felt that she was a conscious moat, smaller than any subatomic particle, yet capable of motion and of sensing her surroundings. Like an abrupt revelation, the curtains whipped away. She realized she had become aware of psychokinesthetic extension of herself. She was the moat, yet not the moat. I fucking love this. I fucking and love this. It's great. Now, if you if moat is one of those words most some people might not know. Moat just means a, a tiny substance, a particle, so to speak. I picture it as like, you know, when you look into, a, you know, sunlight's coming in through a window and you can kind of see the beam of sunlight and you can see those little tiny dust particles like yes. floating around. That's yes. a moat. Exactly. A tiny moat floating around. Perfect. Um, but I think this is such an interesting description and i mean it continues right we're going to talk about it but sure i just love you know for me the what what i ended up picturing it this as um i'd be curious to see what other listeners you know saw when they were reading the section of the book or what people think of but have you ever looked at living um cells or bacteria or anything like that on on a micro under a microscope i have that's what i pictured of like a little tiny dot that's just moving around in its own plane um, that is so small, but that can also interact with things. As we come to learn, one of the first things that happens is as she starts to realize she's a moat, <laughs> that she could, that time is almost suspended and she's this subatomic particle within yes. herself. One of the coolest things is that she's able to, trying to find the actual paragraph, but she realizes there is actual poison inside of the water That's of life. Right. And she has the ability to, on a molecular level, change which atoms make that poison and deactivate it basically totally awesome it's so fucking crazy and cool like that (laughs) i have never read anything like this in a book i don't think i've seen anything like this try to be transcribed into film Mm -hmm. um like the idea of being something smaller than an atom and also having still some sort of sentience and some sort of movement while also simultaneously realizing you are still yourself in your own body surrounded by people uh fascinating like it's like you were saying it's like trying to describe an extreme psychedelic experience um like normally words fail but i feel like i got a very clear picture from this indeed yeah which is why this guy is a a great a great author it's funny i like how you describe it that way and uh, and we'll talk about that that molecular composition manipulation which is going to happen with this intense awareness uh two things uh, the first thing I want to say is I imagine the second that shit hit her mouth that the camera pulled the, I'm looking down on her. I'm imagining a top down shot 
and the camera just starts pulling away, pulling away <laughs> into space. The fucking earth is tiny, like just keeps pulling out. And it's this, and it's almost like she has this bird's eye awareness of everything around her, everything at once. And in time being frozen, if you could, if you could see the galaxy at once in, in the, in all in the same area, time would almost be frozen because that's impossible because of the way time dilation works with shit far, far away. And I just imagine her watching all these little specks of planets interact and I don't know. And then, and then zooming back in. And like you said, right down to the molecular, like from as far and realizing how everything is kind of connected in that weird way to, right. to a being that could see all of space, it would look like moats just floating in their vision, right? Some God, let's just say. And then for her, we zoom all the way in down to that subatomic level to where she's just seeing atoms and shit bouncing around and she can recognize what they are. I think that's wild. And still, and, and extend enough to manipulate things. Too. Yes. Like the, these so tendrils cool. from her mind just reach out and touch them and, and pull them apart and stick them together. And, and I'll tell you, there is something that happens in these books, in the prequels. And it's this ability for the Bene Gesserit to, to manipulate their body chemistry and to literally create and or destroy disease within themselves using this oh, wow. kind of awareness. And I don't want to spoil it, but there is a character who crosses a Bene Gesserit and, and pays the price when that Bene Gesserit manipulates your body chemistry to make that person sick. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's really neat. And, uh, and we have it here, right? Uh, where she, you were talking about that description, I believe. It is, yeah. ah, it was a soundless mental sigh within her as she saw the nature of the poison, right? Mm -hmm. With our psychokinesthetic probing, she moved into it, shifted an oxygen mode, allowed another carbon mode to link, reattached the linkage of oxygen, hydrogen. The change spread faster and faster as the catalyzed reaction opened its surface of contact. And essentially, she is rendering this poison inert. Yeah. Yeah, on a fucking atomic level. <laughs> no, no problem. So fucking cool. It's one of the coolest descriptions of, I guess, magic ever. Yeah. yeah. Right? If you, think, um, if you think, oh, I can cast a spell on that person and, and make them feel pain, it would be cool to imagine seeing, you know, this, this going in and rearranging cells and, 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 it, and, and, be, and not just so vulgar as we see a rib break, but we see like, the manipulation of the bone and then it just starts to rend and pull apart as this mage is like <laughs> does this crazy magic and you're like oh the guy falls down in pain and, but that that kind of awareness where just this hyper focused zoom and we go in and we start fucking pulling apart the biology of the man to to cause pain <laughs> you know i love that idea <clears throat> yeah it's intense i mean it's like it's almost like magic explained in a sense indeed like we're, we're seeing the behind the scenes of like you know, to to anybody, to any spectator watching for her to have, you know, she's probably there with her fucking eyes rolled into the back of her head, just fucking, you know, looking like she's in a trance, but mm. she's actually changing the molecular structures of it's things. It's wild. And we realize she has this simpatico because she is touched by a presence and she realizes I'm two people at once here. Is it, is it the Reverend yes. Mother? Yes. Another moat comes <laughs> in and touches her. I just imagine two little like fuzzy dots coming together and like yes. staying touched together. And that's how they instantly, like you said already, there's this ultimate simpatico two people mm. being at once, not telepathy, but mutual awareness. That's right. Very and, cool. uh, yeah. And she realizes, Oh, the Reverend mother didn't think of herself as old. 
An image unfolded before the mutual mind's eye, a young girl with a dancing spirit and tender humor. Within the mutual awareness, the young girl said, yes, that is how I am. And Jessica was like, wait a minute. And then she heard, you'll have it all soon, Jessica. (laughs) But this is where we realize that the Reverend Mother Romalo senses the the life in her. Yes. So imagine Romalo's awareness for just a minute in this prescient moat dance, reaching in and in, in peering through this uterus, which might as well not even exist in this type of awareness. She can just see the <laughs> life force, the dancing, the, the youth, so to speak. And she realizes something else is here. You can't hide from this kind of awareness. Right. Right. And I love how once, once the, you know, the Reverend mother's awareness that her moat, you know, realizes that there is more life here. I mean, she's immediately terrified. She says, this changes both of you. Holy yes. mother, what have we done? Like, we should have known you were pregnant. Yep. So this is a huge complication. That's right. And I love that what we find out is that the daughter presence is freaking out um, because she's just been flooded with the same drug as as Jessica. That's right. Um, and I love the description of the dot, you know, whirling around and, and zipping back and forth, you know, totally uncontrolled movements. And then finally, the uh, Jessica compelled herself to touch it. and immediately feels what that moat feels what her mm-hmm. unborn child feels fear she's overrun with fear um immediately and but over time as the as the third moat touches her the daughter uh she starts to to what it, i'm trying to find the exact description but what i liked about it oh yeah here it is she jessica instead of trying to communicate with the daughter moat she reduces herself to basic emotional reactions radiated love comfort a warm snuggling of protection and the terror receded yes so she had to basically be motherly <laughs> towards towards the tiny daughter mode that was freaking out because we're talking about a fetus being bombarded with this sort of godlike awareness <laughs> out Indeed. of nowhere Indeed. hasn't even been born yet i don't know what anything looks like other than the insides of a pink womb that's right. it it's my only reference for the world it and and i like how we realize here that this would have killed a male yes yeah. So that that's huge. And, and and I like the way you describe it. I like the way you describe it as being motherly without using words, without using physical comfort, but just the essence of what that transmits in this psychedelic state. To be able to harness that and to, for all intents and purposes, Matt, beam it into her head without words is really fascinating. And in addition to this, I like how Jessica thinks, I shall not fear, fear is the mind killer, right? As she starts to stabilize her own self in this moment. And, and I love this because, I mean, this must, there, there has to be a record for earliest time to hear the litany against fear. <laughs> and it's going to be fetus. <laughs> fetus now knows the litany of fear. <laughs> fetus has been, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And also, I mean, this moment where (laughs) I just love this quote from the Reverend Mother, where she says, time compels me because the Reverend Mm -hmm. Mother has to get the point of the ceremony is to give all of the knowledge of both the Reverend Mother and every Reverend Mother that came before her to Jessica. It has to all be given business. And I love what she says. I have much to give you. And I do not know if your daughter can accept all this while remaining sane, but it (laughs) must be the needs of the tribe are paramount. Yes. Um, so this could absolutely obliterate the sanity of your unborn fetus who doesn't even know what a thumb is yet. Um, going to find it all out real quick. Mm. Imagine that, Matt, for just a minute. We can't even, f- okay, 
to be clear, we can't fathom this. Yeah. The <laughs> only way I can personify this into trying to think about it, and, and, and believe me, this is not going to do it justice, but it at least give you an inkling as to what this might be like, is this. Think of, I'm going to bring up vampires again. I know it's crazy. I never do that. <laughs> think, of, think of Claudia in an interview. Yeah, the child She's a vampire. child, and she has a hundred years of life in her. But when you look at her, you realize she's not a child. Only her body is a child. She's a hundred-year-old vampire, and that's fucking weird. But also, but also, because of the way she had to grow up, she has all these, she has the child's appetite and the child's desire for things that want with the, with the power of a vampire to get it. And that's a very deadly combination. And so just imagine a little kid with all this knowledge. That's coming out of the womb. Coming out of the knowledge. fucking womb. And not just <laughs> a vampire's solo existence. All of these reverend mothers of this tribe, of this CH that have come before. It's, it's, it, and in so much, and it's just a dump. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's this great description by Neil Stevenson in Snow Crash that I'm going to butcher. But essentially, he's talking about the, the amount of information that would get pummeled into something. He's it's like 747's dive bombing full of information into your head over and over again all day. <laughs> you know, like just pummeling your head with all this information. It's great. Exactly. Um, and the experience is poured in on Jessica. Birth, life, death, everything. Important matters and unimportant. An outpouring, even an outpouring of a single view time. I love this little moment where she says, why should a fall of sand from a clifftop stick in the memory? Like one of her memories that she received is literally from somebody who was looking up at a, at a, at a cliff and seeing a little bit of sand fall off the top of it. Like even that is stuck in there. Like yeah. all of, all, literally all of their experience. This, this goes back to that great quote. <laughs> you know the quote um, in uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where, where <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty crass, but it's when um, Al Pacino is talking about like, having sex with people like it's not the orgasm you remember he's like it's the way you know someone's arm falls across you and it is it's these weird things you remember about Mm -hmm. intimate or 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 frightening encounters this if you've ever been really scared by something or or like lost control your car for a minute and remembered exactly the moment of a song that was playing because it your mind absorbs that to teach you don't fucking do this again right (laughs) these little and i and i love that there's probably there, there could have just been a it could there could have been profundity is that the word I'm looking for in just seeing sand tumble off the cliff in that moment maybe something directly preceding or proceeding that yeah it's yeah pretty, but it's pretty wild out. and it stuck out I've been a long time waiting for you the Reverend Mother said here is my life mm. and there it was encapsulated all of it even the moment of death I am now a Reverend Mother Jessica oh that's so good it's so good because we we, we think about. We, we we imagine all of this stuff being poured into our head and we can kind of wrap our head around like, wow, we're like Neo. We just, I need to know Kung Fu and then zip, I know Kung Fu, right? We, we've seen this in film before, but maybe what we haven't seen is somebody being so connected with somebody in this crazy psychedelic, telekinetic, psychokinesthetic way that when that person, not only we get all their memories, all their experiences, when they die, we experience that. So suddenly we are no stranger to death and, and they're not strangers to death in general because they see it all the time, but, but literally the experience they're experiencing dying. dying. That's wild <laughs> as shit, man. It's crazy. It's from the cool. person who was just pouring all that information into your head just now. You also have the sensation of them dying and yes. how that 
beetles to live it. Right. And it's not like they pulled the Ethernet cord and the data stopped. Right. It's the computer died and you're in all of that data is hitting your head now. And you're feeling that. It's not just data. It's not just info. It's it's emotion. It's feeling. It's yeah. experience. We only see it quickly for a second, but she even talks about um, there was a, a lover, virile, bearded, with the Fremen eyes, and Jessica mm. saw his strength and tenderness, all of him in one blink moment through the Reverend Mother's memory. Like she was seeing people that she the that that Ramallo was in love with, like just everything, their whole life. Imagine blinking your eyes and seeing this man that she loved as a baby, and by the time your eyes open, you saw their death. Yeah. Yeah. Like just that's the blink. kind of awareness you have to try to wrap your head around. It's it's impossible. But goddamn he does a good job of describing it. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, no, it's so good. <clears throat> but this uh, this starts to, you know, she feels this terrible sense of loneliness, saw her own life as a pattern. Uh, she, she, I did it. She's, she's thinking, I did it. My poor, unformed, dear little daughter. I brought you into this universe and expose you, expose your awareness to all its varieties without any defenses. A tiny outflowing of love comfort, like a reflection of what she had poured into it, came from the other moat. That's nuts. Yeah. So now her daughter saying, it's okay. Yeah, she's kind of exactly. pinging her. It's right. okay. With the same sort of just mm-hmm. sensation that, that she had been given. Not bad for a fetus. Not bad for a completely unborn fetus baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, and, and after this, Jessica actually wants everybody to partake in the water. She's deactivated the poison within it. Um, yep. And she, she says it has been blessed. Mingle the waters. Let the change come to all that the people may partake and share in the blessing. Yep. And I love how as soon as, as soon as she has already taken on all of these memories, all of the Reverend Mother's experience, she starts to continue the ritual and she just naturally understands the words for it. She just finds herself finding the, the appropriate words because of course Naturally. You, you've seen this ritual thousands of times now and through that's right. all these other lifetimes that's right and then we go straight matrix orgy people, <laughs> people jumping up and down <laughs> lots of jumps and hops <laughs> let them have their orgy the other memory said within her now correct me if i'm wrong in that moment that that quote that is still the prior reverend mother speaking isn't it yeah. like uh, inside of jessica yeah yeah i think so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because it says here, and she realized they came from another memory. The life that had been given to her now was part of herself. So this is very much like, run, Luke, run. <laughs> run. They've little enough pleasure out of living, yes. And you and I need this little time to become acquainted before I recede and pour out through your memories. Already I feel myself being tied to bits of you. Ah, you've a mind filled with interesting things, so many things I'd never imagined. Just remember that this... This part of this absorption, this Romalo herself is experiencing all of Jessica's shit too. It's, yeah, this is peer to peer. Like it's not, this isn't a one way dump. <laughs> oh, and there is, um, there's a moment, I think we already passed it, but there's a, a cool moment too when, when, when Jessica is kind of figuring out her awareness and, and realizing that she is both herself and this subatomic moat at the same time. When she's looking, she kind of looks in one direction and sees essentially a black hole hole of of like uh, an emptiness a void that she can't even look into can't bear to look into and realizes that that is what the Kwisatz Haderach can do that she can't yes that, to, to be able to look down that particular avenue of, of experiences and you know she realizes that's something she can't do yeah I thought was cool. very cool but also big another big revelation um that happens right around here is Jessica's attention was focused on the revelation of the water of life 
seeing its source, the liquid exhalation of a dying sandworm, Mm. a maker. And as she saw the killing of it in her new memory, she suppressed a gasp. The creature was drowned. Drowned a sandworm. Here we go. Here we fucking go. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the source, she learns now. The source of the water of life. (laughs) Okay. So what does that mean? They weren't kidding when they said, Shai Halud will judge. And they're not kidding when they said, when they call it maker. Maker of what? Yeah. Yeah. But it is the source of this nasty water. (laughs) Nasty thinky water. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Paul finally steps into this. Uh, where she's, she's really tripping. I'm like a person whose hands were kept numb without sensation from the first moment of awareness until one day the ability to feel is forced into them. And, and I mean, that's such a, another great description. These metaphorical descriptions are incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like Paul being afraid still of, Indeed. of drinking the water. And I don't blame him because he was able to also to detect that it was poisonous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's right, asking right. his mom, like, can, can I? Can I actually do that? Yep. And she tells <laughs> him, it, it, it has been changed. <laughs> yeah. And Stilgar, he must just be like, oh, this got to be my wife. <laughs> yeah, Stilgar seems be. pretty head over heels for her, honestly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that mm. regal, regal looking proud woman. Yep. And, um, but no, they, they, she, she, she didn't turn off, to be clear, the drug is still the drug. The poison is safe, but it's still going to, mm. you're going to. You're but the drug for, is you're going for oh, yeah. a ride. You're going Absolutely. for a ride. Yeah. You're about to be zooted. <laughs> um Paul essentially watching his mom just ride the damn lightning, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh no, it talks about there being a kind of excitement in the air. Um that that he understands the the drug will bring a change onto him, but he also knows that he would return to the vision of pure time, Indeed. of time become space. It would perch him on the dizzying summit and defy him to understand. So I like that Paul already kind of understands the direction it's going to take him, at least you know more so than his mother probably did because of his prescience. But he, that's what also makes him so nervous about it because he knows the place that it will lead him to. I like that. Yep. Paul, uh, seeing Cheney, feeling a, quote, carnival excitement in the air. I love that. But um, finally, he realizes, because now now it's Paul's turn, because mom starts to nod out, you know, as you do. Mm-hmm. She's peacefully asleep in a sitting position, her breathing even and deep. She sleeps in the waters of life. And Cheney said, hey, <laughs> let's go. Let's go run around. Let's get out of here, baby. No, I do. But, I, oh, go ahead. No, please. Well, I was going to say, I just really enjoy the way this this chapter closes with finally seeing a relationship starting to develop between chani and and paul what a night um, for it a night a night not to be forgotten <laughs> exactly and i and i love chani actually is the one who who is more nervous about this at this point mm-hmm. she says when the tribe shares the water she said or, when the tribe shares the water we're together all of us we share I can sense the others with me, but I'm afraid to share with you. There's something frightening. Yeah. And we find out here that, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just the water of life. She says, you make us see things. She does. His his presence. The Um, word is, you press on people. And I love that description. That shows a power of will to press on somebody, a vision or a thought or. You make us see things. What do you see? And she says, I see a child in my arms. Now, this could just be a, this could almost be a poetic or hyperbolic way to say, you make me see things. 
meaning maybe her presence in this crazy change in her life, if we want to reduce it to something mundane, could just be as simple as my love for you, my overwhelming passion for you scares me because of how intense it is, because of how strong it is. And I see a child with you and that scares me, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It could be that. It could be I that. I see that. Yeah. And I mean, she she does seem sort of afraid to just be around Paul <laughs> because right. of what he, he because is. Because I think she's on the precipice of a completely different life and she knows it. Have you ever been into somebody so much and you sense they're into you and then you're like, this is horrifying because <laughs> the second one of the two of us steps to the other one, life will never be the same because now a thing has happened, right? Yeah, it could be that it, simple. It could be that simple. But I oh, maybe not. Maybe not. No, I mean, I they, they, actually, are, they are high and shit, so that, there's part of that. <laughs> that is, that's, you know, I actually really like what you just said. I, I think that's a big, I think that's almost the subtext of what's going on here. Like Mer- the maybe. Dr- the drug and everything is almost the surface level, because Paul's already prescient. He already has an awareness that goes beyond human, your typical human, you know, level. Um, but I think with, with Chani now, too, it is sort of just the subtext of, like, he, Paul already said, I've seen you before, that he yeah, he's seen her in dreams. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it's almost like to acknowledge the fact that they both feel this way is also to commence a change. Correct. Like, now change will happen because we've both yes. acknowledged it. And that's kind of what we're seeing happen it, here. It, it's a very much two people staring at each other and one saying, is this happening? And then... Irre- irrevocably changed going forward. Right, right. Yep. Especially with all the subtext, or with all the context is a better word, around it. Yeah. Usul, yeah. help me. She cried. I mean, this is very emotional. Chaney, Chaney, don't fear. Usul, help me. She cried. As she spoke, he felt the drug complete its work within him, ripping away the curtains to let him see the distant great turmoil of his future. And that's the other part that's working on Paul, right? Is this haunting future vision, this prescient. Yeah. Every time we get a moment of Paul to himself in this chapter when he's thinking, he's literally like he he makes the two you know bodyguard boys of his you know leave him alone for a minute, and it it, it talks about him sitting and thinking and practically scheming for how to change the future and stop this wild jihad from happening. Like mm-hmm. he's thinking about it all the time. Yeah, some of these descriptions of what he's thinking are awesome. Fade Rautha flashed toward him like a deadly blade. Such cool metaphor. <laughs> the Sardaukar raging off their planet to spread pogrom on Arrakis. The guild conniving and plotting. The Bene Gesserit with their scheme of selective breeding. They lay massed like a thunderhead on the horizon. Fucking metaphor. So good. <laughs> or um, it's probably more technically if it's saying like or as it's a simile, right? True. <laughs> held back by no more than the Fremen and their Muad'Dib, the sleeping giant Fremen poised for their wild crusade across the universe. That's more metaphor. The sleeping giant Fremen. That's fucking awesome. It's such cool writing. <laughs> and I, I love that he has a moment <clears throat> where he's in his own prescient vision. He could see it stretching ahead of him, a time of relative quiet mm-hmm. and a hidden sea etch, a moment of peace between periods of violence. And when he asks Chani, what do you see? She says, I see us giving love to each other in a time of quiet between storms. It's what we were meant to do. Like when we're seeing his, his prescient vision echo what she says and like they are like reaching this point of just total communion. Yes. Really cool. Very awesome. What a chapter. Yeah. She put a palm against his cheek. I'm no longer afraid. Uso, look at me. I see what you, what you see when you hold me thus. Right. It's good mm-hmm. shit. 
I like and, it's interesting that he says, You're the strong one, Chani. Stay with me. And she says, Always. Indeed. Because she is a rock, this woman. This young woman is a rock. He is the swirling dervish of, of, of some sort of other being. That's right. Uh, in, in this constant state of flux, despite this awareness, there's, there's a constance to Cheney that even though it's limited by her temporal form, as it were, I mean, she could get killed, but there right. is a constance to her that, that, that Paul sort of, I imagine her, to continue metaphorically, this stone, this just rock in the desert, and swirling around here, this dark wind is him, just <laughs> and she's just like, I'm scared, but I'm here. And he's like, yes, you have to stay here or I'll get lost. You know, I, yeah. I, li- I like that idea, man. It's really fucking cool. It's a great chapter. I fuck so I fucking that chapter. Good. And that's that. Anything else you want to say about chapter uh, 37 or book two in general? <laughs> Dude, book two, man. That was really fucking good. <laughs> it was outstanding. It was outstanding. Um, just seeing Paul finally having to, to rise up and face what he's going to have to be in this, mm-hmm. you know, future, uh, the terrible purpose of it. Indeed. In a short time, he killed men, you know, <laughs> after, after fleeing and he killed men and he lost Liet or, or Pardo Kynes. Uh, I don't know. Did I say his full name? I don't know. Liet Kynes. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying somebody else in a different book. <laughs> um, to, to hear, to, we're in this, are, are these people going to kill us? They're going to take our water. We have to fight with them. We have to, Right. We've learned now, so much about the Fremen now. So much about the Fremen in book two. And, and, and it's been about time. And, uh, and we're going to be traveling back into the Imperium, and we're going to get back to those Harkonnen next. Oh, yes. In book so, three, The Prophet. The Prophet. Chapter 38 reads, No woman, no man, no child ever was deeply intimate with my father. The closest anyone ever came to casual camaraderie with the Padishah Emperor was a relationship offered by Count Hazemir Fenring, a companion from childhood. The measure of Count Fenring's friendship may be seen first in a positive thing. He allayed the Langerad suspicions after the Arrakis affair. It cost more than a billion Solaris in spice bribes. So my mother said, and there were other gifts as well, slave women, royal honors, and tokens of rank. The second major evidence of the Count's friendship was negative. He refused to kill a man, even though it was within his capabilities, and my father commanded it. I will relate this presently from Count Fenring, a profile by the Princess Irulan. I have one question about this. Yes! And I could be way, way off. I was way off. (laughs) Are we supposed... Okay, if we're going to suppose that these chapter introductions like that are relevant to the preceding or the preceding chapter is this a hint that the emperor is trying to kill the baron at this point he says he commanded him to kill a man and fenring refused i don't know and then we get a chapter about the baron it's like, possible mm, this some meta shit are you are you winking at me book are you telling me something the book's giving you a little wink a winky always money in the banana stand <laughs> but we so. get a great baron chapter Oh, we are back to my main man from Amsterdam, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, <laughs> raging down the corridors, Matthew. He is in a mood. Oh, yeah. And everybody knows it. He is, indeed. <laughs> he is raging down the corridor. <clears throat> <laughs> 
I love poor, stupid, druggy Nafood. That poor bastard. <laughs> Standing. Only The only thing keeping his face composed is the narcotics that he's been taking all fucking day. <laughs> just I, sweating. Just, just imagine the barons. Just imagine what goes on on Giddy Prime. There, there's just this... <laughs> it seems to be... It, it has all the hallmarks of a Caligula, except a <laughs> lot more killing and betrayal in, in death at any moment. It's a, it's a very dangerous type of paradise they seem to... <laughs> they're all on drugs. Pleasure houses, slave women, slave boys, slave men. I mean, it's a, it's, these guys are really going crazy. <laughs> They're pretty, it's the evil town. Mm. Evil town, USA. But How long have you been my god, Captain Nefood? <laughs> he starts in on him immediately. And have you always anticipated dangers to my person? Then where is Fade Routha? I love that he just puts this on him to say, yeah. you should know that something is going on here. M- my lord. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Do you not consider Fader out a danger to my person? <laughs> I love that over. He's like, are you dumb? You don't get that. He is also a threat all the time. Right. <laughs> you dumb dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I like this people. The, the, the idea of this display is a great move by the Baron because it reveals many truths to him. It's a clever counterintelligence ploy. Good Did point. I not command you to know precisely where the Nay Baron was at all times? Did I not say to you that you were to know precisely where the Nay Baron was saying, and uh, uh, to know precisely what the Nay Baron was saying at all times, and to whom? Did I not say to you that you were to tell me whenever you went into the quarters of the slave women? <laughs> Did Indeed. I not say these things to you? Indeed. And then it gets to the slave boys. And that's what we're going to get at right now. Faderalta shows up, uncle, and of course the Baron whirls, and here we are. What a great way to start a chapter because as a reader, we don't know what's going on. We know that there is this rivalry and that he's grooming Fade and suddenly... He says, fate is a threat to my person. Where is he? Stomp, stomp, stomp. Fade enters the frame. Yes. And the Baron turns. And so now the, we have an, now something's going on. Right. We only have uh, a tone, a mood set Indeed. up th- thus far. But then we start to realize that there was a plan <laughs> that our little boy Fade hatched that did not go the way he wanted. Indeed. We understand that, uh, there's a dead body in the Baron's chambers that he wants removed. And this moment is brilliant. Fade Routh glanced at two guards when against the right wall and nodded. <laughs> the two detached themselves, scurried out the door and went down the hall to the Baron's apartments. And the Baron thinks thus. Those two, eh? Ah, this young monster has much to learn about conspiracy. And what he means by that is he knows those two men are listening to Fade and they're loyal to Fade. Which was, is not good. <laughs> which is, Fade tipped his hand. He should have said nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But by saying those two, those two men are now compromised in the Baron's eyes because they're listening to Fade and not the Baron. They didn't <laughs> stop to say, Baron. Fade commands them. They don't stop and say, Baron. They go. They go. That's and a great point. Yeah. Baron goes, aha. <laughs> those two have to go. Baron goes, mm, mm, mm. That's this, a li- you are a little too cozy with power, bud. Indeed. See, see, and, and those are house guards of the Harkonnen that answer right. to the Baron. So, so, and Fade might have a little command presence over them based on his position, but in the Harkonnen household, you ask the Baron. 
Yeah. Especially in his presence. If the Baron wasn't there, they would not ask. They would just yeah. it just goes to show how Fade is not Fade is getting more and more used to having power, mm-hmm. but not used to the delicacies of, of how to use that power. It's a literal yeah. line in this chapter that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're dude, gonna come we're gonna come to it in a minute. <laughs> the next part that happens here where where you know the baron is basically like so where you been hmm? what you been mm-hmm. up to mm-hmm. and he's like oh I've, I've been playing chops with the slave master and baron's response is oh you played chops did you did you win and he goes well, <laughs> yes i did win and he goes great go ahead and go kill that slave master now go yeah my men's gonna go down here i don't want men who are bad at chess pyramid chess mm-hmm. they're done dude what not, a fucking brutal move not right just kill him. take three men and garrot him <laughs> and then bring him to me. I want to see it was done properly. <laughs> Fade just goes pale, but but uncle. <laughs> Later, Fade. <laughs> Later. Later. <laughs> uh, brutal. Really flexing wow. on Amir. And I like that. I, I like this. Boy, what a way to dis- demonstrate power. This has a, uh, there's a mafia quality to this, isn't there? Oh, 100%. Like they're saying the wrong thing. The wrong guy moves the wrong way, and those guys' instincts are so tuned, so tuned that mm-hmm. you just can't. You don't live in that world and get and shit gets past you, or you die. Yeah, you, you that, don't make it this far. That exactly. <laughs> and I love the moment where he just tells, uh, you know, Nafood comes up and says, "You wish me to kill the slave master now, my lord?" And he says, "Now." And when you finish, add those two who just passed to your list, the two soldiers that Fade commanded. That's right. I don't like the way they carried that body. One should do such things neatly. I wish to see their carcasses too. <laughs> it's so like, dark. It's so, oh man. And he's just doing it all in front of Fade. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's a moment where Fade realizes, okay, this is, this is like the end of Goodfellas, right? <laughs> We're going to play Eric Clapton and everyone's going to die. So I need to save myself. He realizes the Baron is in, he's not just flexing, he's on the war path. I'm and Fade him. knows what Fade did, and we don't know what Fade did. And that's how I like this. I like this pivot into learning about what Fade's treachery exactly was, right? We know he's spies on the balance. Everybody spies on everybody. That's fine. But when he says, all I can hope for now is to save my own skin, the Baron reads his mind and says, good. He yet knows how to cut his losses. <laughs> and he's, that's what he wants in Fade, right? He knows yep. Fade is not clever enough to take him out. He knows Fade lacks the resources and the guile. He doesn't have the tools yet, as you were just saying, Matthew. But what he does know is that the boy knows how to cut bait when yep. he needs to cut bait to save himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, he knows I must preserve him. Mm-hmm. Who else do I have who could take the reins I must leave someday? I have no other as capable. Mm-hmm. But he must learn. And I must preserve myself while he's learning. Indeed. I love that. Like, you were he, you know, the Baron was the target uh, uh, for whatever you know Fade was doing. The target trying to act. poison him with a boy, right? He, um, he tried to kill the Baron. That's that's what we're right. going to learn. Yeah, yeah. I was just being <laughs> coy about it. Oh, oh I'm <laughs> but, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he was the target uh, of of Fade's assassination attempt, that's and right. he's still saying, "But I need to preserve myself against that, so that I can teach Fade to be better at assassinating people." <laughs> this is a this is a dynamic that is so. You, if you watch an inexperienced writer or a novice writer, they don't do this. They don't pull this off. It's, kind of dynamic, oh, yeah. I figured it out. You tried to kill me and I kill you. Yeah. It's not, you tried to kill me, slap your face. You're doing it wrong. 
How are you going to, how are you going to take over this family if you don't do it right? That's really powerful as a dynamic. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And yeah, they're walking in and the Baron's like, Oh, he's behind me. Is he going to stab me? Is, uh, right. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Fade. Fade. The Baron's behind fade. Yeah. He says, go ahead. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the mafia shit. No, no. Get in the front seat. I'll ride in the back. You're like, Oh God, he's going to shoot me in the head. <laughs> Let him experience this moment of terror. The Baron thought, he will succeed me, but at a time of my choosing, I'll not have him throwing away what I've built. Ah, so good. It is and it's so, awesome. I feel like the hardcore Dune heads out there who may be listening to this might get annoyed at me for saying this, but it's so Sith. It is Sith as fuck. And, I, and what I mean by that is I mean that George Lucas stole from this to make Sith. Because uh, sure. the, the, the idea of the rule of two, that that it is almost an expectation of you as apprentice to be trying to take out the master. Like mm. you, you should be, it would almost be like you'd be deemed a failure if you never made an attempt of Indeed. like, no, you need to be trying to get power. That's the point. Um, but you got to do it well. Uh, maybe even, just, maybe even it. a Klingon quality. Like if you get weak, I'm going to challenge you to a duel and kill you and take over. So take stay it. strong. <laughs> stay strong, buddy. Stay strong. In a more brave. overt way. This is a lot more subtle. This is more, the treachery behind this is is much, much more subtle. Right, right. And I like how they just walk and he's just, have you heard about Arrakis? Just talking to him. No, Dude, no, no uncle, this is, I, I haven't. <laughs> I I love this. The way, uh, just reading into the, the Baron's tone about how he says this when, when they're talking about Arrakis. You know, the Baron says, they have a new prophet or religious leader of some kind among the Fremen. They call him Muad'Dib. Very funny, really. It means the mouse. I've told Raban to let them have their religion. It'll keep them occupied. And I'm like, oops. As a reader, you know for sure at this point, what a fatal flaw. Indeed. Of like, you are underestimating them so badly. Every step it's, of the way. Every step of the way. And it's so interesting to see Baron, who we know, especially at this point, and even in this chapter, is very intelligent and very mm-hmm. aware and very cunning. And this is like, you, you really do see the chink in his armor of like, oh, you don't, you just don't get it when it comes to the fremen you have completely overlooked them you've written them off it's not good (laughs) it's not good yeah but they walk into this bedchamber, matthew and it's a mess the struggle has taken place uh and uh, the baron just says it was a clever plan but not clever enough fade tell me why didn't you strike me down yourself you had opportunity enough and fade sits down (laughs) yeah he he just sits and smartly fade actually thinks i must be bold now and I'm like, that it kind of, because if, what would the Baron do to somebody who was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, 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 I didn't do anything. He, Baron would be like, well, then fuck him. He Especially can't fade. Especially he can't fade. rule. Exactly. He would be done with him. Um, but he, he knows he must kind of take ownership. Mm-hmm. And he says, you taught me that my own hands must remain clean. Yep. <laughs> yep. Not supposed that, to get my hands in there. And the reason is, is so you can answer truthfully when questioned. Mm-hmm. In front of the truth sayer. Hmm. But uh, yeah, they, they go on and on and they talk a little bit more about, um, uh, what, what are we talking about here? I'm sorry, I lost my Well, spot. for one, oh, Fade starts yeah. talking about uh, how he's like, why haven't you ever brought uh, Benny Gesserit mm. to us? And <laughs> the Baron, we never really find out exactly why, but he's like, you know my tastes, yeah. not into them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't trust him. Doesn't trust him. And maybe he shouldn't. <laughs> but isn't this also where we, 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 we get a little bit of a callback to... to what an event we actually saw go down when when fade was fighting the slave yes. uh in the arena yes 
that's what we get back to here. We, we start to, to touch on that. Yeah, it was a sham, Uncle. I arranged it to discredit your slave master. Very clever, the Baron says. Brave, too. That slave, slave gladiator almost took you out, didn't he? Yes. And here's the line. If you had finesse and subtlety to match your courage, you'd be truly... Sorry, I fucked it up. If you had finesse and subtlety to match such courage, you'd be truly formidable. <laughs> a great line. It's a great Gets line. Gets into kind of what you were saying about Fade. Right. Like, Fade Fade is obviously got some guile and and he you know is not a a, a, you know you can almost see fades growth even though we don't see him very much in this book he's only kind of like pops in for Mm -hmm. small moments of time but even over the course of the book that we've seen him so far he has gotten more intelligent and more he's paying more attention the first time we see fade he's literally just like fucking with his tunic while his uncle's talking and he's just not even you know completely aloof completely yep and he's getting yeah, I was just gonna say I like how I like how the Baron <laughs> thinks back on Piter's delicate, devilish subtlety. He's like, oh, I missed him. <laughs> that little <laughs> imp, mm, the yes. devil that was. Oh, he's great. But um, <laughs> I think one of the other things about you, you're talking about Fade's growth, so to speak, his cleverness growing, but it's also tempered by this moment here where he realizes as he's looking around the chamber, how did he escape? How did he? How did? How did the Baron? notice and not be overwhelmed how did he get out of this and that curiosity is what will keep him in check he doesn't know and no. that's a problem buddy because you take be very careful taking shots at the baron yeah yeah and i love uh just the way that we go from we we you can really see actually yeah i want to step out for a second because I, I think in the writing itself, the structure of the writing in this yes. in this area is so interesting because you get to see the Baron's intelligence by how by how much he's thinking ahead of what the other characters are thinking. The way his ability written. to read people, right? Because you know, Fade glanced around the bedchamber, studying the signs of the struggle, wondering how his uncle had overcome the slave that prepared so carefully. And then the very next thing, the Baron says. How did I best him? You're wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Fade, let me keep some weapons to preserve me in my old age. (laughs) It's better we use this time to strike a bargain. Indeed. And this is when Fade realizes that, oh, he's willing to make a bargain with me. Mm -hmm. My head's not on the fucking literal chopping block, at least. Not literally, but it's it's right. It's 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 right there. It's (laughs) It's right. right It's in the room. He could (laughs) yank you over by your hair and chop your head off. Absolutely good. But I like how he calls him good material. I don't like to waste good material. And we know this about the Baron. He has goddamn Thufir Hawat. Right. He didn't want right. to get rid of him. <laughs> and I like how he just says to Fade here, look around you. Look at this dead slave boy, this struggle. This is foolishness. I do not reward foolishness. <laughs> and Fade thinks of his uncle as a fool in this moment and his face must betray it because the Baron says, you think me a fool. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I love that. Oh, he's just so ahead of Fade. And he just tells him, you will cease foolish attempts on my life and I, when you are ready, will step aside in your favor. I will retire to an advisory position leaving you in the rest in the seat of power. <laughs> Period. And yeah. this is the way we should do it. This is very wise by the Baron. Very wise if he thinks he can get to fade in this capacity because we're turning our resources on each other. What are we doing here? And and I am I imagine I, I'm trying to just imagine how this goes for the Baron. You know, like him talking to fade. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a way to compare it to something today. It, 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 it would be like 
a, a six-year-old and you hand them the control and you play Street Fighter with them and, and you're like, eh. you know, with a hand over my eye, it doesn't matter. You can never win. <laughs> you can't you, beat you, me. You can't win and just stop it. Stop with the fool. Don't unplug my control. Like, you, you, this is foolish. This is ugly. Stop. And, you and let you me teach you yes. how. Yeah. Yes. And I will give you this control when we're done. The, the special one. It's <laughs> right. a stupid way to think of it, but a, a, a simple way that might make people realize, wow, what a, like, to just have such a skill beyond what you can imagine against Fade, who you can see him doing everything. You're like, oh God, it's like an expert boxer with a, with an amateur. And you're like, <laughs> stop. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're just practicing here. The amateur's let, let, not even good enough to see that they can't compete c- correct. with this guy. <laughs> correct. Yeah, it's the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? You don't know the limits of your own incompetence. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I love what the Baron thinks here, too, where, where we go from him saying, you know, pointing out the, the, the attempt and what the plan was. You Indeed. Know, oh, you planted the needle in the boy's thigh, right? Right. put my hand on it, eh? Like, you know, I see your plan. And then he thinks to himself, it would have worked, too, if Howard hadn't warned me. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> But I'm going to let the lad believe that I saw the plot on my own. In a way, I did. I was the one who saved Hawat from the wreckage of Arrakis, and this lad needs greater respect for my prowess. I agree I with the Baron. That. Yeah. And, and, and here's why. He did save Hawat, and Hawat just saved him. So yeah. it already has paid off. He's already... It, it was a good investment <laughs> to Correct. save Hawat. Yeah. Right. He had the wherewithal in his mind to not just kill him as Fader's like, oh, just get rid of him. No. I'm alive because of this fucking guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh no and then fade can't tell if he even can believe his uncle right now would he really retire why not <laughs> right and uh yeah he just tells him <laughs> i'm gonna have thufar thufir hawat watch over you i trust his mentality ability do you understand me and as for me you'll have to take me on faith but i can't live forever can i fade and perhaps you should begin to suspect now that there's things i know which you should know i give you my pledge says fade and what do you give me you get to live. Because <laughs> I'll put your head on that block right now, kid. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is so good. And I like how Fade thinks he's clever because the gladiator trick from the earlier chapter comes back to it being Hawat's plan. And he thinks that this is a foolish move. Wait, Fade thinks it's foolish? Well, yeah. He says, he sets Hawat over me. What would he say if I told him Hawat planned the trick with a gladiator and cost him his slave master? Right? Right. Right. So that's Fade's little victory in his head. But it it is interesting to find out that that Hawat is kind of playing them both a little back and that's, forth. That's what Fade believes. Yeah. 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 I like that a lot, too. Because now he finds himself between the two of these people, Hawat, who we're going to hear from in a minute here. But no, I like this. Yeah. And Fade picks, uh, the Baron realizes Fade hasn't really outwardly objected to Hawat right. watching over him. That <laughs> well, could be an indication of something right now. That's an indication of something, isn't it? That's an awareness now that the Baron has. Why didn't he? <laughs> Hawat's a dangerous toy, Fade Rautha said. Yeah. Toy, don't be stupid. I know what I have in Hawat and how to control it. Hawat has deep emotions, Fade. The man without emotions is the one to fear. But deep emotions, ah, now those can be bent to your knees. 100%. Think about that. Indifference is a useless thing. I mean, think of Yue. (laughs) Right there. 100%. Right there. Deep emotions were really bent. Exactly. If say, now now say UA was indifferent, say he had no deep emotions and he was just indifferent, like I don't care that she's gone, I don't care about my life, I don't care if I live or die. Why would he ever get pulled into a plot if he didn't have enough emotion to even bend? Hawat right. was 
Oh, UA was deeply hurting and deeply needed some kind of closure and deeply needed this thing. And, and that's exactly what the Baron showed up to tempt, right. right? There's no, I don't think the devil is interested in your indifference. I think the devil is interested in your pain, <laughs> right? right? Your indifference right. does nothing for the devil. Lucifer wants your pain. He wants your sadness. <laughs> and that's what the Baron is. Because he can, and, he can bend you with it. Sure. And I just, I like how much Fade is, is kind of like everybody else and not understanding, not seeing the value in Hawat. Because mm-hmm. um, he thinks, you know, Hawat, Hawat is a trickster, that he's used him and, and the Baron has used him and he doesn't even understand Hawat's loyalty and that, that, that his loyalty is always in question. Um, and this is where we find out more, I would, I would argue, more why uh, the Baron has held on to Hawat. Yes. Because he says, who does Hawat blame for his present circumstances? Me? Certainly. But he was an Atreides tool and bested me for years until the Imperium took a hand. That's how he sees it. Indeed. His hate for me is a casual thing now. He believes he can best me anytime. Believing this, he is bested. For uh-huh. I direct his attention where I want it, against the Imperium. Ah, oh, it's so fucking good, man. You can't read that paragraph and not realize the Baron's brilliance. That he's fucking so smart. And, and he's not just smart. Do you know what I like about the Baron? Hmm. I like that the Baron seems not to engage in the frivolity of ego. Because ego hmm. is what gets you killed. Yeah. Yeah. He does he not doesn't, in- go ahead. Well, as I say, he doesn't care that Hawat thinks he's better than him and smarter than him. And, doesn't care. You know, and maybe he him. is. Yeah. He can admit that. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> and, 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 and that's an interesting thing. The only thing the Baron has is indicated to us is that he has a casual indifference as it relates to the Fremen, which is strangely ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Because he uses deep emotions against people, which means he can't use indifference against people because indifference is his own fault, (laughs) right? His indifference (laughs) towards the Fremen. If he had a deep emotional feeling about the Fremen, he'd do something about them, but he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't hate them. He just doesn't care about them. It's interesting that nothing. his ability to use strong, deep emotions to to control is what's causing him to miss the Fremen because he has no emotions for them. That's really ironic. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that that way. I'm thinking it about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. <laughs> well, and this is, yeah, so it has now been essentially revealed to Fade that, that um, the Baron has plans against the Emperor. Mm. Let my dear nephew try the taste of that, the Baron thought. Let him say to himself, the Emperor Fade Rautha Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows that his, his nephew will salivate over that one. Of course. <laughs> yep. And of course, he's trying to push on. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, quick, a quick exchange earlier in the chapter. Uncle, I don't understand you. Yes, that's plain enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's just uh-huh. such a, That says everything, right? I know, Slowpoke. You're not keeping up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. And then what a great moment when, when Fade says, well, what does Hawat have to do with this? Yes. And, and the Baron says, he thinks he uses us to wreak his revenge upon the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of the Baron allowing this momentum of revenge that Hawat wants to kind of pull them in that direction. And, and he's going to use that same momentum that Hawat has. He's going to take that, that desire for revenge and bend it. It's a Indeed. deep emotion. Do you imagine, what, what do you think the Baron's plan is for once he believes Hawat's revenge has been satiated? Oh, hmm. 
Like hypothetically, know. should he satiate his revenge? Does yeah. Hawat suddenly become indisposable? Does Hawat become dangerous to the Baron? Perhaps. I, you know, that's a tough one. I, it's a tough I, question. I can see right? it going a couple if, different ways. If Hawat wants to say he want, wants revenge on the Imperium, it, say you want, say you say, casual hatred of the Baron is one thing. Meaning, I could best him and I could kill him, but in doing so, I might fuck up my ability to get to the Imperium. Maybe once I'm done with the Imperium, maybe the Baron's next. I don't know. I don't know what I couldn't tell you, nor do I remember what Hawat is thinking. But I wonder what the Baron's anticipating. Right, right. Another great just observation about Hawat as a person that the Baron has here, um, because Fade asks, "Well, you know, his the Hawat's revenge when that's accomplished." Yeah, we're just talking about that. Yeah, Yeah. and then the Baron says he does not think beyond his revenge. Hawat's a man who must serve others, and he doesn't even know this about himself. So fucking good. <laughs> he sees shit about people that they don't know about themselves. How so is he good. not one of the most interesting characters? Oh, he is. He absolutely <laughs> is, isn't he? I can't, w- dude. I cannot wait to see fucking Stellan. Stellan's, Stars- Stellan's great. Well, I, I hope. Bear. Yeah, we're recording this on October twenty first, two thousand twenty one. So we're about Comes to see out. this movie in the next few days. So that's where Coming we're out at. Soon. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I want watches everybody. Just as a reminder, he talks to him about the poison. This gets back to, uh, they talk faints within faints or plans within plans, as it was called earlier in the book, uh, like the arena and the cutting edge is the mind. Now you see how you need me. The Baron said, I'm yet of use fade, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm yet of use. I know things that you don't know yet and you need to know. Indeed. Yep. And I like how the Baron, this casual gear shift into we're going to go down to the slave quarters and you're going to kill the women in the pleasure wing dude what like it reminds us just how despicable and evil the baron is yes like he is awful and you're gonna go kill what yeah (laughs) that is not only has he indicated with his intellect and his observation why he is to be listened to but when he commands you to engage in abhorrent brutality, yeah. he's also reminding you that he is very dangerous. Right, right. It's a double-edged sword of, yep, I'm making nice with you. You didn't kill me. It's okay. Fade must be thinking. Now, so it's, it's, I, there is, um, th- th- this plays out with such weird sociopathy, which is, uh, you tried to kill me. Again, we get back to the Baron's ego piece. We just talked about it. He doesn't let his ego get too much in the way. Fade tried to kill him, and he's basically like, you're cute. You're doing it wrong. Let me fix it. Versus flying off the handle and being like, you should be loyal to me. Because he knows that's not the case. That's not how these people operate. (laughs) But Fade must also feel the discomfort of his transgressions. And not because of ego, but because it's a valuable lesson, as far as the Baron is concerned, by killing these women. You will accept your punishment and learn from it. (laughs) Yikes. We'll learn to be more careful (laughs) yep and that's that i know you fade you will not refuse (laughs) wow what a villain such a good villain great villain great character uh he's he's fantastic and now with what i think is so funny about these two chapters back to back because in the chapter we just covered in chapter 38 the baron is the most dominant force on the scene by far like fade question Fade is is a, is a far second. He's um, lost. Yeah, he's absolutely he's, lost. He's the, lost against the Baron. 
Oh, absolutely. And Captain Nafood is just like nobody. He's just a fucking He's junkie. Yeah. He, <laughs> a fucking miserable yeah. junkie. Yeah. Um, but dude, lucky to be alive. For real. Just sweaty dude, just fucking up all over the place. But no, what I love is the contrast we get in this chapter between the Baron and Hawat. Yes. Like we start to realize, like, uh, I mean, we, we've already seen what Hawat can do in some degree. We know mm-hmm. how he's intelligent, he's a mintat. But you really start to see the difference between a regular person and a fucking mentat <laughs> in this chapter. A mentat assassin in, in a storied one, at, 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 uh, to be clear. Right. We saw him. We saw his engagements with Jessica, those verbal fencing matches. <laughs> and we realized Hawat had, was a, had a special kind of intellect, an impenetrable will, this real drive towards that which he believed was the truth and act on it without emotion. She was the one getting emotional. And we're going to see how he and the Baron engage because we've talked a lot about the Baron, Matt, as far as what it means to the, this Fremen piece. And we're going to get into it right now on this chapter 39. And chapter 39 begins. Deep in the human unconscious is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense. But the real universe is always one step beyond logic. From the sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. I'm going to think about that. Deep in the human unconscious, a pervasive need for a logical universe, but the universe is always one step beyond logic. Yes, indeed. Because ultimately, we can't predict life. Right, right. The right. moment the moment you think you can predict everything ahead of you and you're on top of it all is the moment you've lost your grip on it. Yeah, and, and you should never... And it's going to get beyond you. In, indeed. We've talked about this before. Maybe best to... Maybe best to stay in the middle of the mountain. I think we've talked, we've had this little metaphorical uh, verbal discussion before than to stand on top of it and not be able to see everything below it, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. you can survey it a little better from the middle of it. <laughs> and and <laughs> I can see the top, I can still see the bottom. Uh, I don't remember what we, I think we're talking about that as it relates to the Bene Gesserit and the power structure. Don't be on top. No, stay off to the side a little. Love Let it. the people up top be the targets. We'll stand down here. <laughs> the meek shall inherit the earth. Yes, along with the cockroaches. The cockroaches. <laughs> this I want to read right up front. <clears throat> it's Thinking by Hawat. Yeah. I've sat across from many rulers of great houses, but never seen a more gross and dangerous pig than this one, Hoover Hawat <laughs> told himself. Fuck it. Hates it. Works for him now. He's got, he's got a W-2 from the Harkonnens, <laughs> but fucking hates him. Realizes he's dangerous. Never seen a more gross and dangerous, to be clear. <laughs> and this is just a little meeting of the minds, as you said, between Hawat and the Baron. And the oh. Baron saying, speak plainly to me, Hawat. <laughs> this, and yeah. this is where we get into, yes, well, I wish to know how Arrakis figures in your suspicions about Seleucus Secundus, right? We're talking Seleucus Secundus. We're talking about, you didn't have me send that warning to Raban as an idle whim. So apparently... <clears throat> The Menta asked the Baron, he sent him a warning. He said, send him a warning. And now the Baron wants to know, what, do we do? What, do, what is this? Talk to me about this. Yeah. Why am I, why am I having to send out these warnings? Right. Um, and honestly, Hawat just says it very plainly. You speak too casually. Of yes. <laughs> the Baron. It's a penal colony. The worst riffraff in the galaxy are sent to Seleucus What else do we need to know? Yep. And this is when we start getting into the conditions of the planet. That Hawat has has deduced produce a particular kind of person. Yes, sixty percent, Matt, uh, a fatality rate or mortality Every, rate. 
emperor practices every form of oppression there you hear yeah. all this and do not ask questions <laughs> i love i love hawat's Indeed. manner of thinking Indeed. of like you you have all the evidence before you and you're just not asking the right questions about it because you're not asking questions I, I i'm really glad we're coming off that chapter into this one because we know the baron is smart we know he sees things but yeah. I also believe that the Baron is a man who just accepts things as they are because that's the way the Imperium operates. Why would I ask questions about Seleucus Gundus? To which Thufir is like, why don't you? <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Why aren't you? And this gets into, you've never wondered how the Emperor gets his Sardukar. And this is beyond the Baron's perception. Mm. This is beyond the Baron's interest. I yes. don't think he thinks in these terms. I think he's more interested in bending the individuals, not thinking of why, what, in the Baron's defense, why would he care about them? But also, you run one of the great houses of the Landshrod. You might want to know about this stuff. Yeah. Maybe you should just be curious. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, oh, right? I think there's, there's a real, there's a real, what is the word? I mean, not exactly the word I want to use, but it's a real usefulness in questioning the very foundational nature of things. Um, and I kind there's of get utility that. in it, right? There's, there's, I think a lot of times people, and I, I can imagine the Baron even being kind of like this of like, ah, you're getting too philosophical and foo foo, and this shit doesn't matter. I'm more focused on the the nuts and bolts of how to exercise and grow my power now. Yes. Yes. Whereas to watch somebody going, well, why are things the way they are? Why? This is great. This is a great, this is a great prompting uh, statement from you because the Baron is an expert on people. He's an expert on the ugly side of people and he's an expert on people in general. He knows things about Hawat that Hawat doesn't know because that's his expertise. Now, the Mentak, conversely, is a machine man. He's literally a man. He's not a machine, but he thinks like a machine. So he breaks everything down. This. Why is this here? Why? Always asking why. Yeah. Why, 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 why? Whereas the Baron is just instinctively somebody who knows why and asks how, right? Yes, no, exactly. No, I was totally, I was just going to say that, that yep. Baron is concerned with how. How mm-hmm. do I accomplish these things? How? What are the tools I need? Yes. Whereas, whereas Hawat's somebody who looks at literally the way their world is and goes, well, why is it this way? particular way indeed like, and that's a menta he breaks it down mm. oh, it's mm. so good and this is <laughs> one of my favorite lines in this entire chapter actually um where where they're talking about the sardaukar and the baron says <laughs> the sardaukar are excellent fighting men no doubt of it but i think my own legions and fucking gets interrupted by hawat saying a pack of holiday excursionists by comparison indeed. you think i don't know why the emperor turned against house atreides yep and then with the coolest question from Hawat right after that, where he thinks this, is it possible that even he doesn't know what motivated the emperor in this? Hawat asked himself. Mm. And to be honest, that's been my speculation. I keep thinking, I'm like, I don't think I, I and I, this goes right into what we were talking about with, with the Baron being so concerned with how and using things to his own advantage. I think he didn't care about why, like the emperor, you know, kind of initiated this plan to use House Harkonnen to destroy the Atreides and use the Sardaukar dressed in their livery. But I don't think the Baron cares about why and is probably right. not even sure about why the Emperor wanted that. He just goes, oh, well, this is a great opportunity for me. 
I, I think I can, there's I some this. truth in this. Yes. I, I want to kind of clarify the why on the Baron. I think, I think the Baron, I think the Baron has this profound ability to read people. And in so doing, he doesn't feel that he even needs to ask the questions like a mentat because he looks at Matthew or he looks at Dean or he looks at listener and he goes, after a couple minutes of engaging with this person, I'm completely aware of this person and w- because this is what I do. I'm not asking why. I'm observing and going, okay. Like it's like la- it's like it's like understanding language that hits your ears. You don't ask why you understand. You just do. Like I just read you. I I know Matthew because I'm the Baron. I don't ask why I know him Baron. I just know him because I'm a fucking I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a like a savant at reading people. I'm I'm a master manipulator. That's what the Baron is. So yes, he doesn't even he 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 probably just doesn't even it doesn't even occur to him like what motivated the emperor because it's not on his radar at all. Right. It's, right. It's really exactly cool. It. Yeah. And this is this is where we get into Hawat's speculation but arguably pretty much the reason yeah let's Um, read this yeah the (laughs) the padishah emperor this is uh the hawat speaking the padishah emperor turned against house atreides because the duke's war masters gurney halleck and duncan idaho had trained a fighting force a small fighting force to within a hair as good as the sardaukar some of them were even better and the duke was in a position to enlarge his force to make it every bit as strong as the emperor Ooh. He still doesn't see it. <laughs> what has yeah. Arrakis to do with this? The Baron asks. <laughs> you cannot mean Fremen. Oh, I mean Fremen. Ha! <laughs> and I like this. Here's <laughs> where Mentat meets Baron. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk numbers? This is what I mean by the Baron knows the individual. The Baron knows the spy network. The Baron knows the manipulations. The Baron knows the wet works. The Baron knows all that shit. But when you start to blow up the scale a little, he gets a little bit, he, his awareness is, he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask because he does, he just goes on what he knows, which means the Baron's weakness is when he doesn't know something, he really doesn't know because he doesn't yeah. care to ask, which he doesn't fact, know. His, he doesn't know little bits about things. He knows a lot about the things he wants to use and care that's about. Right. And the, and, the, and the, the stuff he doesn't know, he knows nothing of it. Like, he didn't even read the Wikipedia entry about Fremen. Like, nothing. Right. He, didn't, he didn't look at shit. And this is where he really gets schooled by Hawat, because he, he scoffs at this. Raban slaughters these people, right? They, there cannot be more than a handful of Fremen left. Oh, he oh. throws out numbers, too, yeah. He starts to throw out numbers, and in in, in 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 Hawat's like, if you start playing the numbers game with me, I'm going to make your fucking head spin, because I'm a goddamn, <laughs> exactly. I'm a computer person. Hawat <laughs> just stares at him silently as he blathers. Not more than a handful, the Baron repeated. Raban killed 6,000 in the last year alone. Okay, what I like about the, 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 the pros here, Hawat still stared at yes. him. Stared. What I like about that is the, a, 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 a savvy reader goes, okay, so there's not none, right? If he kids 6,000, they're starting a religion. Fucking how many are there? Way more than you think. And we find out for sure in this chapter, it might have been a little bit alluded to in the last, but we find out it's been two years. Yes. Uh, two years he, now. And he keeps throwing the numbers out. Oh, mm-hmm. 6,000 last year alone. Hawat watches him. Hawat's watching him answer the questions he should know. Answer, he, come up with the answers he should know. Because then he goes on by saying, in the year before that, it was 9,000. Okay, so that's 15,000. Mm-hmm. What did he say? Yeah, so now we're up to 15K, right? Yeah. And, uh, and before they left the start, I must have accounted for at least 20,000. Okay. 
All right. Raban or uh uh Hawat's question right after that. Yes. Okay. What are Raban's troop losses for the past two years? Like let's put those two numbers together. Let's look at them. Not good. <laughs> Not good. Shall we say thirty thousand? That seems a little high. The Baron's like, oh, I don't want that. <laughs> no, quite the contrary. I can read between the lines of Raban's reports as well as you can. No, you can read better, Hawat. You're a mentat. And surely must have understood my reports from our agents. <laughs> what is- if he has lost thirty thousand? Right. Yeah. He says that in the, in the in the tone of like, well, what if? So what? We lost thirty thousand. Like, what does that mean? How many did you kill? <laughs> Fifteen. That's two to one, buddy. Yeah. So tell me again how these guys can't rival the Sardukar in a two to one killing back and forth. And this and oh, this part too is so good. You say the Sardukar accounted for another twenty thousand, possibly a few more. I've seen the transportation manifest Oof. for their return from Arrakis. If they killed 20,000, that means they almost lost five for one. Why won't you face these figures, Barry? A hundred thousand. (laughs) That's fucking nuts. What I love about this revelation is this this is such a great highlighting of the Mentat's attention for detail, which is reports upon reports. We're looking at these numbers, but it always takes that Mentat to step back and look at it all. Correct. This is this is what I mean by the Baron. The Baron has a laser focus, but the Mentat can pull the camera out and go, "Hey, look at all the data, buddy. Look at <laughs> look at all here of it is. It. Look at this number over two years and tell me, tell me what you think this means." Well, and then he starts to give some estimates about total Fremen population. Yes, and you know he says based off of what they have, my best estimate, or if they had just 250 such CH communities, the one oh, that right. we know about, right. if they had 250 of those, their population would be about 5 million. My best estimate is that they had at least twice that many communities. <sighs> 10 million. The Baron's jowls quivered with amazement. Reprehensible. We haven't even cut heavily into their birth rate growth figure. We've just weeded out some of their less successful specimens, <laughs> leaving the strong to grow stronger, just like on Seleucus Secundus. And, and it's crazy that he's still not there. He doesn't see it. He's he like, still doesn't why Seleucia? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why Seleucia? Now, yeah. And this is what starts getting interesting. He says, nonsense. By your agreement, I could recruit from among the Fremen after the way they've been oppressed by my nephew. Mm. <laughs> and Hawat, don't you oppress any of your troops? Right. I like that. He, I, I like how, again, this is a big blind spot for the Baron. That he's, this is an important revelation for him. Yep. Yeah. And this is where he said, there's this con- conclusion that the Baron finally comes to. Is Raban unwittingly given the Harkonnen its ultimate weapon? He thinks. <laughs> yeah. So he starts to think that possibly they can recruit. Mm, indeed. That they can how could we them. ensure their loyalty? And Hawat goes on a long one here. Right. Yeah. This Start is small. He starts talking about how to treat them essentially like how the Sardaukar are treated. Um, remove them from their oppressive, you know, mm-hmm. element. Tell them that their planet had actually been a secret training ground this whole time to produce such superior beings as themselves. And all the while, I'd show them what superior beings could Indeed. earn: rich living, beautiful women, fine mansions, whatever they desired. Mm-hmm. And the Baron nodded. The way the Sardaukar live at home. Yep. He so started starting to see. To, starting to see it now. Yep. <laughs> The commonest Sardaukar trooper lives a life in many respects as exalted as that of any member of a great house. Such an idea, the Baron whispered. I love this. This is great. 
They start talking about House Carino, where the people on Sluiskernis before the Emperor sent this first contingents of prisoners there. Even the Duke Leto, a cousin of the distaff side, never knew for sure. Such questions were not encouraged. Good <laughs> shit. Uh-huh. Yep. This is where uh-huh. he finally realizes, okay, this is where the Sardaukar come from, the Seleucus Secundus planet. This makes sense. And the Baron just starting to let the puzzles fall, the Tetris thing starting to make a little more sense, where he just realizes, wow. <laughs> He starts drawing the parallels between Arrakis and this. Right. Which are obvious parallels once you, when you step back to take a look yep. at it. Yep. And Count Fenring comes up. This Imperial Popinjay came as official <laughs> observer to an, conclude a business arrangement between myself and the Emperor. During one of our conversations, I believe I said something about making a prison planet of Arrakis. And Hawat's like, what did you say exactly? Exactly. It was a while ago. My Lord Baron, if you wish to make the best use of my services, you must give me adequate info. Wasn't this conversation recorded? <laughs> you're as bad as Pita. But this gets into, he's becoming too familiar, too demanding of me, the Baron says. You assure me you don't waste a useful man, Hawat said. Will you waste me by threats and quibbling? We were discussing Fenring, and that's when they get into all this Fenring talk. They have a little power back and forth right there. But this is awesome. The Emperor knows a certain amount of killing has always been an arm of business. I was referring to our workforce losses. Then I said something about considering another solution to the Arakeen problem. This is the Baron recounting what he talked to Fenring about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I said something about considering an, uh, uh, another population of the Arakeen problem, and I said the Emperor's prison planet inspired me to emulate him. Which blood? Oh, I'd snap. What did the Fenring say? That's when he began questioning me about you. So that's why they started looking into, the, into Arrakis, he said. Well, the thing's done. They must have spies all over Arrakis by now. Two years. Two years. Nothing is as innocent as an emperor's eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, dude, that's such a great line. No such thing as an innocent passed off remark in front of the emperor. He's taking account of all of it. And this just gets down to, you can wipe him out, or would you prefer to have the emperor in the great houses? He can still swing behind him coming here and perform a coup, a, a coup, how do you say that? Curediment, scrape out Giddy Prime like a hollow gourd. Oh, yeah, a corediment. I don't know. I don't know what corediment is. That's a word that <laughs> I was like, I don't know that one. You got me on that one, Herbert. It, uh, there's no, nothing in the dictionary is coming up. It's not interesting. There's a little... Sur- oh, surgery to remove tissue or growths from a bodily cavity. Uh, there, there you go. Corediment. Scrape out Getty Prime like a hollow gore. <laughs> Such a fucking visceral threat. Essentially, this worked into Hawat saying... You have to abandon. You have to abandon Raban, right? Yeah. You have to abandon Raban, and then we can bring in a new savior. Indeed, send him no more troops, no aid. Don't answer his messages, other than to say you've heard of this terrible way he's handled things on Arrakis. This is the ploy for the for the for the Fremen, right? And you intend to take corrective measures as soon as you're able. I'll arrange to have some of your messages intercepted by Imperial spies. Order the spice. Demand your baronial profits, but be careful how you make your demands. Require fixed sums of Raban. How can I be certain my my weasel nephew isn't? We still have our spies. Tell Rabani either meets the spice quarters or you'll replace him. Yeah. And then he'll replace the, It's funny, the Baron doesn't see this ploy. Because, yeah. But then he's going to repress them harder and goes, yes, yes. Yeah, no duh, no shit. <laughs> right. You merely want your hands clean. Let Raban make Seleucus Secundus for you. And then it's yours, <laughs> right? That's great. If Very Raban awesome. is driving his people to meet your spice quotas, then the emperor need suspect no other motive. Indeed. That's reason enough for you putting the planet on the rack. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking harsh. And the Baron starts to realize, ah, what devious one. This is great. 
This is great. <laughs> this is the so simplest conniving. thing of all, Baron. If you set each year's quote a little bit higher than the one before, matters will soon reach ahead. Production will drop. You can remove or bond and take over to correct the mess. It's so interesting that the Baron is getting worked into a ploy, which is the exact ploy he set up for Fade to take over. Yeah. Hawan is one another. doing something right here, isn't he? Something Fade was concerned with. Is he turning the Baron against Fade? You're going to take over Arrakis, right? Remember, the plan is, Raban, you squeeze. Then we get yeah. rid of Raban, we bring in Fade. Right. Now, Hawat's saying, you come in. You. Doesn't that put him at odds with Fade a little bit? Mm, that's a good point. Maybe. Good point. Maybe Hawat yeah. is playing a little game here. <laughs> and they talk about that, right? That comes up. Yeah. Fade and Raltha, right? And I also just love that the Baron thinks... How does this fit in with Hawat's personal scheme? Because <laughs> right. he knows it must. He knows it must, but he doesn't yeah. know how yet. And that's where Hawat says, that's the reason for the oppression now. You're very devious yourself. Because that comes up. They start talking about fade right now. And he says, so that's the reason for your oppression now. You're very devious yourself, Baron. Perhaps we can incorporate these two schemes. Your fade can go to Rakus as their savior. He can win the populace. And the Baron's like, yes, yes, okay. How does this fit into Hawat's scheming? At least the Baron is that aware. This is his strength. What's Hawat, what's Hawat getting at here? Why is he playing? Why is he putting this ploy forward? What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the thought. Perhaps I should not have told the Baron to let this religion flourish where it will, even among the folk of Pan and Grabin, he told himself. But it's well known that repression makes a religion flourish. <laughs> he starts to wonder about I, Dar, uh, Idaho and Gurney Halleck, mm-hmm. and that some of the tactics of the recent attacks smack of Halleck himself. Mm. Yep. And then, oh boy, we, we close this chapter out with his thoughts about Lady Jessica, Indeed. who he still completely blames for this. So unfortunate, but he thinks, what a poisonous hate she must have had for the Atreides, he thought. Something like the hate I hold for this Baron. Will my blow be as final and complete as hers? Hmm. You know what I like about this, Matt? We've just seen Hawat be utterly formidable. Yeah. And then we close with a weakness. A, That's a, a great complete, point. A complete misread. The same, the same way uh, the Baron has a blind spot. Indeed. That, that is now kind of corrected. Yes. Um, corrected. Corrected blind spot, but Hawat still has his. He does. And that is chapter 39. I, 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 love, I love this stuff. I love, watching, I love watching Hawat walk him through Seleucus Secundus, walk him through the, Ar- the, the people on Arrakis, walk him through, let them have their religion. Right, let them and 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 can't you see what you could do here? Stop aiding Raban. Start raising the quota demands. He'll lose control, and then you can come in. And the Baron's like, "Well, I kind of had this idea for fate." He's like, "Great, let's make this a plan together." <laughs> it's it's that Hawat. He's crafty, isn't he? Crafty boy. He's crafty, crafty boy. Another great chapter. Yeah. Well, should we tell the people what we're reading next? Affirmative. Yes, we're going to be reading chapter 40 next, which starts as, we're going to do 40, 40, 40, 41, and 42. Uh, 40 starts with, there's uh, in all things a pattern that is part of our universe, okay? The chapter after that would be 41, which is control, the coinage, and the courts. Let the rabble have the rest. (laughs) And then 41, or sorry, 42, would be, you cannot avoid the interplay of politics within an orthodox religion. And in my copy of the book, uh, those are pages 635 through 662. 
Actually, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. 616. No. 616 through 660. That's yeah, our six, homework. 616, and mine ends on 661. That's my numbers. So I'm looking forward to that. Not much time left in this book, my friend. No. We're into crazy. book three. It's been a lot of fun so far. So yeah, that was 37, which is the end of book two. 38, which is the first of book three, and 39. Next week, we will see you, well, next time, we will see you for chapters 40, 41, and 42. I am very excited to get back to Paul and Jessica, knowing now that it's been two years between book two and book three. Two so, years. Two years with the Fremen, with Chani, with with Lady Jessica being their reverend mother, Ooh-wee. with certainly the daughter being born by now. Yeah. Um, so much to see, to come back to. So I am super excited for the next episode. Me too. Then. Absolutely. This was a ton of fun as usual, Matt. I really enjoyed these two chapters, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next three. And that is all. Thank you guys for tuning in to Mind Killer. And of course, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. You've been listening to Mind Killer, a Dune podcast by LSG Media. For information on upcoming chapters and to continue the conversation, visit us on Discord at libertystreetgeek.net slash discord.